Southbridge. I'm glad that you're here. Merry Christmas, or is it too late? It's pretty depressing days. I start Christmas celebrating in my life. Well, every day is Christmas for me. But uh, November 1st through the 25th, and then it's it. And then we're hoping again for the next year. Well, we've had a good journey this last month in our series, Tis the Season. And this morning we'll conclude that series. I have the privilege of concluding that series. And we've looked at Tis the Season for Anticipation, or also then to pursue peace, tis the season for God's presence, and then tis the season to respond, which we talked about this past week at the Christmas Eve service. Who was there at the Christmas Eve service? Raise your hand if you were there. Awesome. So glad you came. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we had several people indicate that they had made a decision for Christ to give their lives over to Christ. So it's happening. It's still going, right? That's what we're about. So for those that aren't in Christ that come this way, we want them to catch Christ. We want them to catch this God-focused disease that we have. To infect them and to be blessed and to equip one another. For those that are in Christ, to, be, to equip one another to love and good deeds for the glory of God. And so this morning as we get into God's word, we'll be in First Peter chapter 1. Before we turn there, let's just ask God for his help because we need it. Lord, I ask you for your help this morning. I have nothing to give but you. And um, we, don't, we want to hear from you. We don't, we don't want to hear a speech. So Lord, would you... If you'd be pleased, um, speak through this vessel and give me the strength and energy to do it. And I'll trust in you in the middle of the attack while preaching. And Lord, I pray for each person here, God, that you would keep the accuser at bay, that your presence would fill this place, and that you would be ready to do the work that only you can do, and that's change lives. And so, Lord, we look into your word expectantly as we come to gather with believers expectantly in worship and in every way. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we conclude the series, Tis the Season, and we're going to be talking about hope. Tis the Season for Hope, one of my favorite Christmas movies, of many favorite Christmas movies, is Home Alone, and the mother had lost her son again, Kevin again, for the second time, and she said that this Christmas is the season of perpetual hope, and it's true, isn't it? Growing up as a kid, I'd ask my friends after Christmas was done, did you get everything you hoped for? What was Christmas like for you? Was everything you hoped for? And on the dawning of a new year, the new year, is it filled with hope? What are your hopes for the new year? When you think about that, we know that Christmas is definitely a time of hope. What do you think 2015 will look like? 2015, it sounds so weird even to say. Although no one's flying on backpacks, riding in jetpacks, and driving in flying cars yet. So the Jetsons were liars. It's see what it, kids, what it is. It's an old cartoon. Never mind. Yeah. So there's lots of different views on what hope is. We use these words hope, hoping, and wishing interchangeably. Hope means, uh, to most, a confident desire and expectation, okay? It is closely aligned with this idea of faith, the word faith. I was wondering this week, uh, as I was preparing for the message, the difference between, what's the difference between hoping and wish? Because we say, I wish you a Merry Christmas, now bring us some figgy pudding. I don't know who wished for that. Sounds terrible. But we wish, we have Christmas wishes, we have these hopes, and then the same into the new year. I have wished something for the new year, I have hopes for the new year. I was reading this week then about the differences between us just in one blogger of many. And there's these people that are grammar snobs out there that need you to know the right usage of the word hope and the right usage of the word wish. And if you use it inappropriately, they'll help, help you figure out the difference. And there's lots of voices online to teach us. They're so generous. I read this week one person's explanation of the difference. And he said that hope is used, used to refer to something positive and doable. And when we wish for something, it's something that's unlikely or impossible to be carried out. Now let that sink in for a little bit. Are you doing more hoping or wishing according to this person's definition? 
So when you look into the new year, maybe your hope is to lose weight. Well, what's the plan? One of my favorite quotes is, a dream without a plan is a wish. Well, I really want to save money. What's your plan to save money? I don't know. I really want to lose weight. What's your plan to lose weight? I don't know. Then you're wishing, right? But this person's definition of hope is something that's positive and doable. So many times when you use the word wish, it's looking in the past. I wish I woulda. Or the present. I hope I get or they do or whatever. This common idea of hope is then very different from how the scriptures speak of hope. And the scriptures point to hope being this, that it's the seemingly impossible being made possible and promised. Hmm? For instance, if we look at the salvation of our souls, the scriptures say this, that it's impossible with man. But what is impossible man is made possible with with God, all things are. So this kind of flies in the face. This kind of hope flies in the face of the hope that is defined for us by our world. Because a hope toward the impossible is a wish, is what our world would define it as. But in scripture, it's normal. <laughs> hmm. Do you have this kind of hope? So biblical hope then is this. Biblical hope is full assurance, not uncertain desire. What do you have full assurance in? Think about your life. Many of us think, well, I have my relationships. Yeah, but people aren't always faithful in relationships. Isn't that right? And of course, the Lord has appointed that death should come to each one of us at his appointed time so that the relationship's not necessarily forever. What do you have full assurance in that will always be or be in perfect time? Hmm. How about this question? How long would you hope for something? If a promise was given, how long would you look forward toward that promise? Before we turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and you can turn there if you'd like, I'd like, if you will, if you'd bear with me, to give you a history, a survey of hope. Old Testament all the way through the Christmas story, which we'll look at Christmas story a little bit today and then look into the future. Here's the history of hope. It actually begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it's kind of a tough passage. Genesis chapter 3, 15, and it'll be on the screen for you if we can pull it up. This is the Father. This is God speaking to the accuser, to Satan. Sin had come into the world. Satan had tempted Eve and Adam had sinned. So sin has come into the world. And in this text, what's happening now is that God is telling them of the consequences of their sin and their dire because death has come into the world through one man's sin. And this is the Father, God speaking to Satan. And he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, Satan, and, and between your offspring and hers, now, speaking of that offspring, the, father, the Lord says this, He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What we know as good Bible students is this, is this is a foreshadowing of things to come. This is a promise. This is actually God prophesying about what will be. But how long will it take for this to happen? When could the accuser, when could the serpent expect this to take place? See, the truth in the Old Testament we see then all the way through today till even coming into 2015 is that all people were lost and separated by God, from God by sin. Unable to fix our own mess, then we needed someone. We needed a Savior to stomp out sin and to rescue our souls. So who would be able to restore such? Who would be mighty enough and capable enough to restore a relationship with God? How long would it take? 
So as you look through the scripture, knowing Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and those good Bible students go forward, you always have that promise on the back of your mind as you read scripture. You're reading scripture in light of these promises. So from Genesis, we see sin grow and expand. Then Cain and Abel have their dispute, where Cain takes Abel's life because he's envious. Then we have the account of the flood, where God destroys mankind beside, except for Noah and his family because God is awesome, not because Noah is so awesome. Because even after the flood subsides, Noah and his family exist, and guess what? So does sin. Sin still exists. Sin remains. And then we see this hope still being held out then through the accounts of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then we see these, these captivities in Egypt for 400 plus years. How long would you wait? Would you pass on the good news, the good hope of this Genesis 3.15 promise to them? Because the law of Moses, as it is written, these things should be passed down. But Judges chapter 2, verse 10 says this. After that generation had passed, one came up one after them. One that did not know the Lord, nor the works that he had done. They gave up hope, didn't they? Not only then do we have the, um, the captivity in Egypt, but then another captivity in Babylon. Seventy years. Then we have battles with seemingly every nation and their gods. And then we see in Scripture that there's the leadership of the imperfect kings. Would you hold hope then? Has God forgotten? Then there's prophets declaring the things that should be, that aren't, and things to come. How much farther in advance, how much farther down the line, Lord, will you wait? How, how much farther will it take for you to come? And then we see years of what seem like Silence. Has God forgotten what he said? Where was God? Maybe he doesn't keep his promises. Was hope lost in the intertestamental period? Or was God working? Hmm. And then as we've discussed over this month, and maybe you've done in your own study, looked at this, an angel appears to an old priest, Zechariah, and says, that there's going to be an impossible pregnancy to come. And that this guy, his wife Elizabeth, even in her old age, will become pregnant. And that the birth of this son, this child to be born, they shall call him named John, and he'll be a forerunner, a forebearer of the Messiah. <laughs> so there's still hope. And then an angel appears to this young woman, Mary, and speaks of a more impossible, improbable pregnancy because there's no man involved. <laughs> Does hope believe in the impossible? Because everyone then must have thought when Mary told of her story, this is an illegitimate son. In fact, people even accused Jesus of being an illegitimate child later. Improbable. And then an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, you can do the culturally opposite plan, and that is to stay with Mary as opposed to putting her away privately. Even in your righteousness, you can stay with her and everyone else can just eat it and not get it. That's how Toby, that's not how God said it. That's how I say it. Sorry. <laughs> Matthew one twenty. that's not how it goes. But guess what? Is there hope then? This, there's been silence and these angels, these angels appears and that wasn't really common. All of a sudden, then after this, Jesus is born. A thrill of hope. A weary world why? It's just a baby. But does he look like a deliverer? Could this be the description of the one born called Jesus, the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means God will save us? 
Is God beginning to fulfill the hopes of his people? Is, this, is it possible that this supposedly illegitimate baby was the answer to the nation's hopes and therefore not illegitimate at all? Old Testament all the way through, all the way through, coming up. Then this angel and then a choir of angels appear to the shepherds. And what do they sing? They sing that a Savior has been born in Bethlehem, which had been prophesied hundreds of years before. How long would you wait? See, this is very different than hoping for a gift, isn't it? It's very different than hoping for um, new boots for Christmas or a new car. Right? How long would you wait? Is this the Savior that everyone was waiting for? When we reflect back then upon the baby as we did this last month, baby laid in a manger, then what we should do is then look through the manger and then into the kingdom of God. All time past is actually looking forward toward all this and what is to come. And we talk about the word hope at Christmas. There's a lot of waiting in Scripture, isn't there? Hmm. We know that patience is a byproduct of God's reigning and ruling in our lives. In fact, it's a character of God, and it's called the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives. So ironically, when you pray for patience, what God's going to do then is put you in time to wait. So don't be so quick. Who, how long would you wait? I know when my wife, we've got five children, I've shared that with you before. When my wife works, she's a very part-time um, caseworker for those that are doing adoption and foster care. She does home studies for those people. So sometimes she's driven to um, Fort Bragg before and to Greenville from here. And so that means that I'm at home with the five by myself, which my wife is like every day. And I can tell you this, I'm not very good at waiting for her to get home. I try hard at first, honestly, loved ones, I try hard. And then it's like texting, like, how's it going? And I'll say, it's great, because I'm lying, because I want her to feel okay. And then uh, I confess that, I guess. And then it's just basically like, when can you, I don't know how you do it. They're taking over. Yeah. How long would you wait? See, the truth is that for most, time usually destroys hopes. They fade and then they die. When God gave us Jesus, he fulfilled his promises and brought about everything he had said, but we didn't see at that time the fulfillment right away. Many only saw a baby and then a boy, and many just saw a man after that. In fact, even Jesus' half-brothers didn't believe in him. James, who writes the book of James, didn't believe until later. Why would they believe? It's just my parents' son. He wasn't that good at kickball anyway. Hmm? So where was hope? Was hope dashed then when God did something so upside down? They thought a king was coming, and this king that was to come is a baby? What is a baby going to do? So then Herod tried to snuff it out by killing all the babies of Bethlehem, which was actually foretold long ago. Hmm. So for most, time destroys hope. Yet for the Christian, the passing of time only makes their hope that much glorious. It's the building up of anticipation that Pastor Scott was telling us about early on in this series. Why? Why is it that much more glorious? For the Christian, faith believes in God and hope awaits the moment when this truth is confirmed. Faith is the basis then for hope and then hope perseveres to feed and affirm and renew faith's vitality. So the longer that God waits and continues to bring more people into his family before his son returns, which we'll talk about in a minute, our faith and our, our hope expands. Is this true for you? 
This hope is available to all people who will place their faith and confidence in Christ. It's available to you. Do you have it? Christmas is a time, tis the season for hope. The dawning of a new year is a time for hope. So what I'd like to do is look more at this kind of hope in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, this is Peter writing a letter to people that were experiencing much suffering and persecution. I don't know if any of us, maybe some of you have experienced maybe what these people are experiencing in. I don't think I have yet. But Peter is writing to strengthen their hearts. And remember, Peter was an eyewitness and he's speaking to people that weren't eyewitnesses. And so what happens is these people are trying to draw hope and faith based off Peter's experience. He's trying to edify them, to encourage them in their faith, which is what we should be doing today, even in 2015. So 1 Peter chapter 1 Verse 3, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, remember mercy is God withholding something that we deserve. We deserve punishment because our sin, even though it's this tiny sin, maybe you've only committed one tiny sin, is it against the eternal God? It's an affront to him. So he holds back what we deserve, that's mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope. Underline that in your Bible. A living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Stop. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what makes this hope different than saying, I hope for something in the future, some kind of possession, some kind of change or relationship or something like that. Did you grow up with this song in church? My hope is built on nothing less than righteousness. That comes from here. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And this is a hope distinct then from a lot of other hopes we've known. I hope I get that job. I hope I get it. God, I hope I get it. We hope all the time and we're often disappointed, aren't we? This hope made possible by Christ is unlike any that we've ever had. And that is because there was a moment in history, a moment in time that sets this hope apart from any other. And that moment was the resurrection of Christ. Now without Christ's birth, there's definitely no death and no resurrection. And so God is working on his plan, his redemption plan in a very unique way, different than what people thought it would be. People thought that God would just show up in his mighty way and stomp on the serpent's head and and delete sin for all time. But it did really, really different, didn't he? Some kind of humility and meekness. Meekness is um, power under restraint. And that is Jesus for sure. Meek and mild does not mean not having a voice. False humility. That meekness is his power under restraint. He comes and demonstrates that through being born. Amazing. I never would have thought of that plan. He's better. Peter says Christians have a living hope. Why? Why is it a living hope? It's a living hope because it's grounded in the living Savior. It would not be a living hope if Christ died And it was just another person calling themselves a savior that died. Another person that did miraculous things. And people have come and will come again, the scriptures say, that do miraculous things. That might even convince people to be persuaded to them. But it's a living hope because it's grounded in the living savior. Because it's a living hope means that it it gives life and grows and becomes greater and more beautiful as time goes on. So the Lord is wise in his appointed times of Christ's birth, death, resurrection, return. He's really, really sharp and wise in his timetable, whether you believe it or not. He's right. 
He's really good at being him. Because of Jesus, we have hope. We have hope for the future that, um, that we will be redeemed, which means purchased. We have hope for the present that we're not alone. The scriptures speak to this, that I will never leave you or lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. So we have hope for the future. We have hope for the present. And he even gives us hope for the past. Hope that our failures, and usually this is related to wishes for people. I wish I wouldn't have. But through Christ, a risen Christ, we have hope that even our failures are not greater than God's love. Remember that dumb thing you did in 1992 or last night? He's bigger and better than that thing. He loves you more than how terrible that thing is. That thing you you think that you can't tell anybody that you did because you think everyone will abandon you, and maybe they will. He won't. Come to him. Confess. Repent. He doesn't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Ah, that's hope. The hope that I can be honest with him because he already knows me, that he's not going to abandon me when I tell him the crazy thing I did that he already knows that I did. (laughs) Everyone else may leave you. But the Lord won't. That's related to our hope. Have you ever experienced hopelessness? A good friend of mine instructed me that hopelessness is when we perceive our goal as being never, ever going to happen. You might have a goal of getting out of debt, or you wish that you were married and you aren't, and you you just don't think it will ever, ever going to happen. What happens for that person, what the world calls um, depression, the scriptures would have called hopelessness. Have you ever had hopelessness before? You receive a diagnosis that is... Life ending. Are you hopeless? When I think of hopelessness and I look at the scriptures, I think one of the most hopeless moments, seemingly hopeless moments, I bet, is when the disciples that were near the cross saw their master die. We saw this guy teach. He taught in ways that we'd never heard anyone teach before. We saw him do his miracles, not only just verifying his ministry. He doesn't have to prove that he's God, but he, he, he proved that he's awesome. <laughs> And then he kind of, he alluded these things, but we just didn't get it. And then he goes to the cross and they, they, he, like, he went willingly. No one took his life. He gave it up on his own accord. We just thought he was, our hope was in him. We thought he was the way. And then when you see in the scriptures after Christ dies, those few days is that they are just scattered and lost, you know? Have you ever experienced that? What the scriptures teach us is that at the darkest moment of all, when defeat seems certain, I bet the accuser thought he was so sharp, and that victory was certain for him. What God was doing in those days was he was sealing their hope, our hope for hope. Hope then was established and secured when Christ arose, and he did a few days later. Imagine seeing your master, your savior, your Lord, who you gave up everything as one disciple said. We gave up everything to follow you. Come through the walls and say, hey, I'm back. Can I have something to eat? Uh, we, would that be a hope-filled moment? Confusing, I would think. Our hope is alive because we have a savior who's alive. If your hope is resting in Christ, your hope is as alive as Jesus. When life seems hopeless, think about 
this. Here's a tip for you. Here's some pastoral counsel for you. When your life seems hopeless, step back and give yourself some space a bit to contemplate the character of God. This seems to be a theme for Southbridge through the preaching or whoever's preaching. A lot about trust in God and talking about hard times because life is hard, right? And I'll tell you this, 2015 is going to have some hard stuff for you. Why? Because you're a human and you live in a fallen world. In fact, Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world, meaning take heart. You've got me. You've got a hope in me. So when hopelessness comes upon you and marriage is terrible or works terrible, you lost your job, you had a terrible diagnosis, there's a loss of a loved one, a life-threatening illness or a lifelong diagnosis you received, an abandonment you experienced, suffering or harm, step back and consider the character of God. Give yourself time. And what will happen in that time of hopelessness is God's spirit will then renew hope because of your faith and trusting in the truth, the truth of God's character, his goodness, patience, faithfulness, his love and mercy and his sovereignty, his all-knowingness. You'll come face to face with hopelessness and overcome that because Christ has overcome it. So when the bad thing happens this next year, whatever it is, in 2015, I would tell you this. I would say this, and hopefully it would actually be encouraging and not trite. It's okay. You've got, you've got Christ. It's okay. It's okay. And we mourn together, right? Or we rejoice together, we mourn together. You've got Christ, loved one. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about how good he is and how he loves to redeem the terrible. And what happens is hope starts welling up because you're being reminded of the truth. You're being reminded of why you placed your faith in him anyway. As long as Jesus lives, our hope is in him and our hope will never die. So how long will Jesus live? It's math. It's easy to say and to teach theology, I think. It's harder to live according to the theology that we say we believe. Hmm? Peter then goes on to describe this kind of hope, which I'd like to do the next few minutes that we have. There's elements of this hope. Isn't this fun? Look at the next verse. Chapter 1, verse 4. So talking about a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, underline that, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Stop. So this hope has elements to it because it's a living hope and it has, it's connected to our living Savior. So talk to me about this hope, Peter. What's, what's this hope have to do with me? Well, we have a hope then for, of our lasting inheritance, is what Peter's saying. You can hope for the la- promised lasting forever inheritance. This message from Peter, again, remember, was to the original audience was to a people, it was so timely because it was to a people that were suffering and being persecuted. He's exhorting them then to look past their present troubles to the eternal inheritance. One of the things that greatly troubles me when I compare myself and comparing you always lose or always win because you'll pick people that are worse than you or whatever or better, right? So comparison game's terrible. In fact, the measuring rod of life is always Christ. To whom can compare? When I look like at the, the, the followers of Jesus that write something like this, I consider it pure joy, my brothers, to face trials of any kind. So what's wrong with that guy? I am not there. How can he consider it joy to face pure trials? Because he's experiencing his trials because of his followership of Christ. He thinks that's accredited to him to the glory of God. He can count that circumstance, which seems terrible, as joy. Amazing, isn't it? It's because of his hope in Christ, because of the hope of the lasting inheritance. When we look to this, when we have this kind of hope that looks for the lasting inheritance, the result is always joy in the face of hopelessness. 
This inheritance, which Peter describes as imperishable, never spoiling, and unfading, is made up of several things. And it's very different than the kind of inheritances that siblings fight over from their parents. Have you ever experienced that before? Maybe had a friend that experienced that, how they have the infighting with their siblings, who they're supposed to love and cherish one another, but they fight because they want more of earthly stuff that's going to fade and quickly vanish from view. The kind of inheritance that comes from the Lord has so much to it. Let me tell you about this inheritance. First of all, it's eternal life. And that would be enough. Because it's eternal life with the presence of Christ. Wouldn't that be enough? To be able to rest with Jesus and say, it's done, it's over. Rest in me. Hmm. But there's more. Joy, peace, perfection, righteousness, and all that God has planned that he has kept as a surprise. Huh? I mean, who likes presents? I do. And I'm a great guesser. I have strong intuition about what's going to happen, what a meeting's going to be like, because I'm a good worrier is why. Which is a sin. So I'm confessing. So I can think and try to anticipate the secrets that God may have, because do you think he's told us everything of all things? Our brains can't even contain it. What do you think the hell, what else do you think is in this inheritance? Imagine it. Now double it. I can do this all day. Now double that. Right? This is what's in store. So for the believer, when they have a hope and a risen, they have a living hope and a risen Savior, they also have this inheritance that they're looking forward to that incorporates all these things. And guess what? We don't have to fight with brothers and sisters in Christ over it because it's unending for him. He never runs out of love. He never runs out of his presence because he's omnipresent. So when you're wishing for a special time just with him, he's capable of doing it with all y'all. This is his inheritance. And we look forward to it. So Genesis 3.15, and you look down the timeline. Everyone's marching down and looking down toward this. They only had a glimpse of that, and now we have more of it. And then even today in 2014, we have more than ever before, closer than ever before to this. So Peter is reminding his suffering readers is that they have a hope which serves as a down payment and a promise of better things to come. So it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to suffer for a little while. It's okay. God will use it. This life is a, is a vapor. It's a blip. It's a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's okay. Right? It's okay. There's more. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. So I'll start in verse 4, but you read verse 5. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoiler or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Underline coming of the salvation. So not only is this hope related then to our inheritance, but it's also we have, a, we have a hope of our ultimate salvation. Warren Wiersbe, an author, writer, preacher, he says, of course, the believer is already saved through faith in Christ, but the completion of that salvation awaits the return of the Savior. So what do we have a hope for? We have a hope for this inheritance because we're a living Savior. We have hope of a final and ultimate salvation that we will be rescued from this world and from this life of trouble. Amazing, right? When we say we're saved, we're positionally saved, but yet we're still in this world. We're not sucked up to heaven immediately when we place our faith in Christ. When someone says they're born again, they are born anew. They were spiritually dead and now alive. In fact, the scriptures say that you were once without hope and without God. Ephesians 2, 11, I believe that is. Remember that you were once without hope and without God. But God, who's rich in mercy and love, he preside, provided salvation for you. So now I'm in Christ's family when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ in 1984. By God's grace, I was adopted into his family. But practically, I'm still on this earth. I'm an alien now, Right? And this salvation, this is my favorite part of this verse this time, reading through this year. 
was that it's secure, our, our inheritance is secure, and so is our salvation. And this is the phrase that kind of stuck me. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. Both the inheritance and the salvation are being held by God's power. The power of God is holding secure, not only our inheritance, but our salvation. I'd like to consider God's power for a little bit. And sometimes I think about it by thinking about what he's created. Because he has to be bigger than what he's created. He's got to be better because he spoke out of, he, out of nothing. He spoke into existence all that there is. In fact, the scriptures speak about these things. that He spoke the stars into existence. And what, our star is called the sun. A little bit of science for those of you that are into that. My mind can barely contain it. Let's think about the sun's power for a second. S-U-N, not S-O-N. See what I did there? The visible part of the sun is about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Got it? Okay. While temperatures on the core reach much more than 27 million. What probe went there to find that out? 27 million? It might as well be a cafillion trillion. It's not a real number. Hot's hot. I'm sweating right now. This heat then, this 27 million degrees Fahrenheit is driven by nuclear reactions. Now, we are still kind of new on the scene, aren't we, into nuclear power and energy and understanding that? Really, really smart people. we got really smart people in our church that grasp the concepts of that, but they're still newer-ish to us when you compare going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, right? Genesis 1.1. One would need to explode 100 billion tons of dynamite every second to match the energy produced by the sun, said NASA. That's incredible. And God, that into existence. And it's one star of many stars. And we have telescopes on earth that look through telescopes in space that keep finding new things. But guess what? We haven't found the edge of space yet, which is more stars. And God just simply, it's nothing for him. And it's by that power, the power, not the, the power of the S, the power of the S-O-N that our salvation is secure. Have you ever doubted your salvation before? No one. I'll talk about me. So I, I doubt my salvation. I doubt my salvation when I consider my track record. How could someone that calls himself a child, this is how I'm accused. How could someone who calls himself a child of God do the same dumb thing over and over again? If my salvation was up to me white-knuckling it and being a good enough boy, then I'm lost. But the scripture tells us that our salvation is secure because God's powerful enough to hold it. Hmm? The Old Testament calls it his righteous right hand. Or the horn of salvation, meaning strength. Your salvation is secure, not because you're a good boy or good girl and you've done a good job, but because he's awesome. And once you've been adopted in his family, you can't become unadopted by him. This is why the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit is a, a seal. You're sealed in and your inheritance is guaranteed. Your salvation is guaranteed. And this is made possible then by his omniscience, his all-knowingness, his, his omnipotence, how powerful he is, and his sovereignty according to his amazing, perfect plan. The salvation that God planned and God designed is realized in Christ Jesus through his death and resurrection. He has become our hope for future glory. He is our hope. Colossians 1.27 says it this way, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you have this hope? It's been made available to you and it was looked upon from long ago. And now we look back on the Christmas story, look back on the cross and the, 
empty tomb, and we look back onto that and have an assurance about the future. Do you have it? It's offered to you today. It's free to you. Christ paid for everything. It's just that he'll, God will take, he'll take over your life. I think it's worth it. There's more. There's more to this hope. And that would be enough, wouldn't it? Look at the next verse. Verse 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice. Yep. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Underline that phrase, Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And Jesus speaks about this to Thomas. He says, you believe because you see him, but blessed are they that believe without seeing that's me and you. And Peter's talking, talking to the same kind of people that never saw Christ with their own eyes, but they believe and they love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Is that true of you? When troubling circumstances come upon you and other people perceive that as hopelessness and yet you have a joy, has someone asked you before, how can you be like that in the circumstances? Circumstance, and the answer is because of Jesus. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One more aspect here of this hope. So we have a hope of an inheritance. We have a hope of our final salvation, ultimate salvation. We have hope for our Savior's return. It says here, when Christ Jesus is revealed. Or your text or translation might say the appearing of Jesus Christ. Paul calls it um, the blessed hope. The resurrection, resurrected Lord is our hope. Our hope will be confirmed, fulfilled, and realized when Jesus Christ comes again and he will come again. I hope it's 2015, don't you? Except for that, I want everyone that I know and don't know to come to know him. Right? Right now we have children and bridge kids that are hearing the gospel. I want every one of them to know Christ, don't you? Every week you come here and you hear Pastor Scott preach a message, and Scott is an evangelist for sure. When he shares the gospel, I want everyone here, my friends that come here, that I've invited here, that I know that don't know Christ, I want them to know Christ. So if Christ returns before then, what hope is there for them? Some teach something different than that. I don't know. I'd rather have it be now. Faith in Christ now, Christ return. First John 3, 2 says, When we see him, we'll be like him, and whoever has this hope purifies himself. I hope his return is this year. The prophets looked unto that, and so do we. In fact, look at the next few verses, and we'll close. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them then that they were not serving themselves, but you. All the things the prophet experienced and wrote down wasn't about them, but it was for later generations. That includes you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. They long to look into the miracle, the impossible hope that is made possible because of a risen Savior. They, they wonder and look into it. When compared to the prophets of years ago, we are blessed to see much more than they could because we are on this side of the empty tomb. Hmm? But we do not see everything that there is to see yet. So we hope. Do you have this hope?
We do not see every promise fulfilled yet. We do not see Satan chained where he can deceive the nations. We don't see all the nations knowing God. We, we do not yet see the end of um, crying and tears and death and dying. We still long for that final answer. We hope for it. And we have a confident assurance because God is faithful and has been faithful and he's doing exactly what he said he would do. In Jesus, we have hope and assurance. God will do his promise through his son, Jesus Christ. We may not see it now, but he has already acted and is working now. And I don't like this phrase, behind the scenes, because he's involved in our lives. It's not behind the scenes at all. He's right in the scenes. (laughs) So between you and me, don't say that phrase anymore. He's not behind. He's in front. It's about him. It's not about you. So he's the main actor. You're not the star of the show. He's the main man in the scene. This story is about him. And you are invited to be a part. And your participation is simply through your faith, trust, hope in him. Just as in the baby Jesus, as we look at, think about Christmas and come to the close and studying Christmas, we had hope and a promise of salvation. So in the risen Jesus, now we have hope and the promise of completion in every way. Completion of his kingdom, his church, and his work in your life. He who began the good work in you will be faithful to the day of completion. Not because you work so hard to it, but because he's going to finish what he started in you. He's capable. You can trust him. Truthfully, though, the hope that Jesus gives to the world does us no good unless we accept him as our hope. And so if you don't have that hope yet, I want you to know that you can have it. We acknowledge our sin before God, that we, don't, we need him in our lives, and we confess and we repent. And we ask him to take up residence in our lives and to, to run and to reign and to rule our lives. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you'll be saved and have this hope. That can be you today. If you make that decision today, tell someone. They'll be ecstatic. They've probably already been praying for you. You don't have to be without this hope and without God. So isn't it cool that you're actually part of the Christmas story? You didn't know it. We didn't teach about you yet. But you can join those people that the shepherds and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and then the prophets before that and then the people while they're in exile and in captivity before that and all the way back, all the way back. You can join the people in God's unfolding story of anticipatory uh, joy of the ultimate promise, the fulfillment of which is yet to come. Our God came through in his promises of his son's arrival and in his death and his resurrection and will be faithful to the promises of his return. Do you have this hope? So our hope, isn't it, much greater than a wish. Hmm. It's much greater than just simply a desire of the impossible. It is a sure expectation based on the promise of God and the work of Jesus Christ. We live now in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised, as the scriptures say, before time began, Titus 1-2. Do you have this hope? Let's pray. Lord, for this morning, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus to be born as a baby. We never would have guessed it. Even though you foretold it, your prophets foretold it, we just didn't, people didn't understand. And to grow as a, as a boy into a man who was perfect, sinless, but experiencing every temptation that we have, and yet saying no to them and yes only to you, and that Christ, his, his food was to do your will. 
May that be ours. May our nourishment come from your word and doing your will. Lord, would you renew our hope for those that are facing hopelessness in their circumstances, God. Give them an unexplainable joy because of their hope in you that it's okay, they've got you. And Lord, I pray for those that have yet to place their hope in you, God, that you would invade their hearts and we will rejoice with the angels in heaven when you do. Our hope is that you're into continually saving people into this living hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.